0: Welcome to the Goebbels Seventh Avenue Church podcast. Here we share the spirit-filled messages brought to us from the pulpit each week. We hope you feel inspired, uplifted, and edified by the study in the Word of God. We would love for you to join our family, either our e-family online or in person at Goebbels Michigan at 9:30 a.m. for Bible study and at 10:50 a.m. for worship service every Saturday. God bless. Good morning our scripture reading this morning is going to be from Revelation 1 verses 1 to 3.
1: Revelation 1 1 to 3. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ
0: which God gave him concerning the events that will happen soon. An angel
1: was sent to God's servant John so that John could share the revelation with God's other servants. John faithfully reported the word of God and the testimony of Jesus
0: Christ, everything he saw. God blesses the one who reads this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to it and obey what it says, for the time is near when these things will happen. Uh, we we have a fund for a dedicated mic at the piano for the new year if anyone would like to contribute. kidding. have to um, apologize to those of you who uh, like Christmas music exclusively this time of year Um, but I'm uh, I'm pleased to see that the Spirit works these things out my song does fit with the theme uh, that we've had so far about uh, God will take care of you so as we uh, look forward to the new year you know I Uh, the Bible says confess your faults one to another I have many faults to confess one of them I have is I tend to worry Uh, but this song reminds us that um, it's not only our privilege but our sacred duty uh, not to worry we can rest in the arms of our Heavenly Father
2: Consider the lilies, they don't toil or spin But there's not a king with more splendor than them Consider the sparrows, they don't plant or sow but they're fed by the master who watches them grow oh we have a heavenly father above with eyes. full of mercy and a heart full of love. He really cares when your head is bowed low. Consider the lilies, then you friend of mine. He hangs out the stars, tells the sun when shine. He kisses the flowers each morning with dew, oh, but he's not too busy to care about you we have a heavenly father above with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love he When your head is bowed low, consider. And a heart full consider the lilies then
1: Jay, I I struggled, too, with the Christmas carol versus other hymns, but I couldn't find any Christmas carols about a GPS. I looked. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we look to you for direction and for guidance and then we sometimes very often I find myself turning and doing my own thing my own way thank you for your forgiveness for your patience for your long reach when you tap us on the shoulder and say are you really really sure as we worship this morning as we continue our worship here I pray that your spirit will touch our hearts to Hear you speak to us, not my words, but your message. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Direction is a wonderful thing sometimes. Tom, can you turn this mic up for a second? I just want to play something here for you guys to hear it. You may have heard something like this before. Then turn left. You heard that? Let me play it again.
0: Proceed to 6th Avenue, then turn left.
1: What did we do before we had these? We found our way, didn't we? Somehow, some way. I grew up learning to navigate the countryside between Wisconsin and Yellowstone National Park by sitting there with the atlas between my father and my brother and giving directions, which they usually follow, but sometimes they ignore But it's interesting, too, misdirection is quite a wonderful thing. When Chad was telling a story about getting stitches this morning, one of my jobs as a hospital chaplain was to help the nurses calm the patients down. I would get a call saying, Chaplain, we need you down the ER right away. It's not an emergency, but I need your help. And I knew what they meant. Because they were giving a patient a shot, or an IV, or they were doing something that wasn't a whole lot of fun. And my job was to distract the patient The nurses discovered that I was willing to sacrifice limbs in order for them to do their job in an easier way. What I mean by sacrifice my limbs is I would let the patient hold my hand, my arm, but not my throat, and squeeze as they were anticipating the agony of an IV. How many of you like donating blood? Cancel the blood drive, Pastor. (laughs) It's not going to go. How many of you like getting a shot? (laughs) <laughs> I don't think so. You haven't had enough. You'll get your share by the time you get to be six. <laughs> How many of you have had an IV? Not that you liked it, but you've had it. Okay, now we're talking. So you know when the needle walks up to you, attached to the nurse, and you're going, I don't think so. That's when the nurses would call me and say, Dave, I need your help. Got a call one day to go into bed six. Bed six was three beds down from the psych unit, so I knew I was safe there. And I went and opened the curtain after knocking, and the nurse said, come on in. I walked in, and the nurse says, I need to give this lady an IV, and she's not wanting me to poke her. Would you help distract her? Now... I'm a professional, but I started laughing, not very professionally, because as I looked here at the woman who's laying on the bed with the nurse poised there with the IV in her hand, ready to give her a little tiny poke, the woman had both arms completely covered in tattoos, and I said, I'm sorry, I just couldn't help it. But You're not wanting to poke, and you've had, she said, believe me, it's different. (laughs) So I sat there, and I talked to her, and I distracted her to this side while the nurse was doing it on that side, and she didn't even notice when the IV went in, the nurse was that good. Misdirection sometimes helps us, but direction can be a big help to us, especially in this time in our world's history. Our call to worship this morning was from the book of Daniel, where he is seeing a vision, one like the Son of Man, and the message rolls out here that this is not just for you right now, but this is for us down the road throughout the history of the world. The scripture reading was from Revelation, the revelation from Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, a lot of people are, afraid of revelation they don't like the images the beasts and so they just say oh you know it, we don't need to worry about that but this is from Jesus Christ to show his servants that's us what must soon take place you catch that I'm driving down the road in my truck and my truck GPS is turn right in one mile Turn right in one half mile. Turn right in one quarter mile. Turn right now. And I'm going, now? Find the next exit. We get caught sometimes because we think we know just a little better. Now there are a couple spots around the countryside where I drive in where I do actually know a little better than the GPS because they take me on certain routes and I know there are shortcuts where I can save time. The only trouble with that is every so often as I'm taking one of those shortcuts, I see a sign at one of the roads I want to turn on that has a truck and a slash through it in a circle, you know, like, no trucks. Oh, that was probably a reason the GPS sent me that way. So it can be a very handy tool to have, but it can also be very irritating. But have you ever found yourself arguing with your GPS? have no I don't want to go down that road especially in, in Chicago <laughs> when there's construction and they've barricaded the route and it says turn here and I'm going I don't think so <laughs> I don't think my truck would do well off-roading you ever find yourself wishing for a spiritual GPS or God's positioning service it's here it's right here We have to connect to it, though. We have to turn it on. We have to read it. We have to study it. This week, someone shared a YouTube message with us about the end times and how to be preparing. And as Kelly and I were listening to it, I am getting this weird feeling. I'm thinking, no, this is taking the theology into a little different direction than I'm used to or that I'm comfortable with. And as we listened further and further, it turned out to be a commercial for how to do things for yourself to survive the tribulation that's coming. They didn't use that word, but it was right there. You know what I'm talking about? People think that there will be a rapture and then a tribulation, and we are going to have to really work hard to survive during that time. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. But we listened to this half-hour commercial. Where this person was trying to sell us his book for thirty-nine dollars, so he could continue his ministry of sharing it with other people, so that they too could survive. It's kind of amazing sometimes when we look back at our past, and we discover that God's way actually has been the better way. My parents used to sing a song, and the words went something like this: "Don't worry, I won't sing it to you." If we could see beyond today as God could see, do any of you remember the song? It goes on to say that we wouldn't do anything different than what he leads us. In our readings today, Daniel struggled to understand God's direction and leading. Daniel was a person who had a very strong relationship with God. Wouldn't you agree with that? From the time he was a teenager until the end of his life, he had this intimate connection with God. There's another story in the Bible of a person who had a relationship with God, and that's in Isaiah 6. Don't turn to it now. I just want you to listen and, and think about it, but read this story later this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow, whenever you want to. But this is the story of Isaiah and his commission. In the year that King Azza died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is having its vision, and he sees God in heaven in all of his glory. And it said the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I've seen several royal weddings where the princess train goes back many, many yards in 1824, I don't know seems like it's a thousand sometimes bridesmaids holding the train so that it doesn't trip her up I don't see how she moves it unless they put wheels under it somehow and you just can't see that it's so long but Isaiah sees God's train the temple the, the presence of God the glory of God it filled the whole temple above him were seraphim each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two wings they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke talk about a show talk about a glorious view of what God's presence is like. And it doesn't even begin to portray, does it? Because we can't understand some of these things. We see them, we hear them, we go, yeah, I can relate that to a light show I saw one time, but this is greater than that. I can relate that to meeting somebody really important one time, but this is greater than that the doorposts were shaking. The thresholds are rattling because of the glorious song of these angels. Isaiah writes these words, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, some people have suggested, some scholars have suggested, that Isaiah was part of the ruling culture. He was a prophet of God because he had a vision. But that his religion had possibly been a little more formal, a little more stern, a little more unbending than he really needed to be. He knew the rules is what I'm saying. He followed the playbook. He did what he was supposed to as a good person. And yet, there was something missing in his life. There was not that intimate relationship between him and God that made him into a different person. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. As you look around you, where do you live? Do you live among people with bad habits bad life practices it's easy sometimes to kind of pull our robes around us so to speak and say I'm not like them and I thank you God that I don't have those problems but we know that's a dangerous place to be isn't it it's a dangerous thing to say it's a dangerous thing to think and when we find ourselves even thinking that we need to pull back and say but God woe is me I have unclean lips I have unclean thoughts I am not in a good, solid relationship with you when I start pointing at someone else and saying, wow, look at how bad they are. I must be pretty good. John Wesley struggled with that problem. In his early part of his life, he made the statement, I'm better than most of the people around me, so I must be okay. Until he had that revelation, that moment, when he really met Jesus for the first time and it changed his life completely. Verse 6 of Isaiah 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So the angel flies to him, touches his lips with the burning coal and says, you're okay. Now, did that give him license to go back to doing what he was wanting to do and been used to doing? No. It changed him. It changed him and it redirected him. He was no longer misdirected, he was redirected. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you remember his answer. Send me, send me, send me. What would it be like around nominating committee time in church if we're doing nominating committee and everyone's standing around saying, I'll do that, I'll do that. <laughs> that would be strange. If You wanna get some interesting phone calls, work with nominating committee and call people and you say, hi, I'm Dave from nominating committee and you hear <laughs> Not really, people are usually pretty good about it, but not always. Here am I, send me. Isaiah had a transformation that affected his ministry and his life that led him to learning about and writing some of the most sublime prophecies about the Messiah. You read what he wrote, what he was given by inspiration to write, and he foretold about the coming Messiah. We're told that we need to study Daniel and Revelation. And I might add in there Isaiah. And when I was talking with people in the hospital sometimes I would say you read the Bible. We were talking about that and they go no I don't know what to read. I'd say read the Gospels. They're great stories and they tell you about a God who loves us. Okay. I'll try that. But I want to give you a word of caution here. Don't just learn the facts stop and think why is this important to me why is it important that I volunteer for Jesus why is it important that I step out and do things it's not that I'm supposed to because I can go through all the motions and still not be a good person I was having discussion with a young man one day and he knew a little bit about Adventists and he said so do you believe that if you go to church on Saturday that you will be saved and have salvation and go to heaven I said no he kind of pulled back and said what and I said there will be people who have gone to church every Saturday but they will not be in heaven because of what's inside and he said oh kinda of took the wind out of his sails because he was ready for a fight I found out later that he had some other issues and he was ready to have a good argument with me and I wasn't going to go there with him but We don't have salvation because we attend church on a certain day or we eat a certain kind of food or we don't eat a certain kind of food or don't do a certain kind of thing. We have salvation because we trust in Jesus. We're listening to our God protection system where he is saying, this is the way, walk you in it having that solid relationship with jesus puts us in a position where he can speak to us through our thoughts he can help us over some of those rough spaces and when we follow his leading it will change our life in a way that we may not be expecting there are a lot of things that can distract us from our relationship with god and from jesus aren't there there's a lot of things that get in the way. I don't want to name them here, thinking about some of my own. I don't want to say things because some of you might think I'm pointing the finger at you because you struggle with those things too. I hope not. But there are too many things that stand in our way when we should be taking the words that Paul wrote in Hebrews 4:16. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's your time of need? It's when you need something. It's when you are struggling to make a decision and you need something. You can boldly come to Jesus and say, I need something here. And he says, yeah, I know. And here's what I have for you. And we say, but I need something, and this is what I need. He goes, no, you don't need that, but here's something else. When we start arguing with our GPS, when we start arguing with our God, We don't pay attention to the messages that are given to us. Jesus is our pattern, our example. He's been given to this world so that we could follow his example, so that we could see how he lived. And you say, well, Jesus never struggled with computer addiction because there weren't computers. I've got him there. No, but he struggled. He was faced with the opportunity to deal with addictions, to live with addictions, because... Addictions are nothing new. It may not have been marijuana or heroin or meth or things like that, but people have been doing things that affect their body for thousands and thousands of years. These are not new things. There are addictions to overeating. Hopefully you're all breaking away from that after this last week. There are addictions to oversleeping. There are addictions to undersleeping. You know, we we get in this curious mindset sometimes where we are addicted to something. We're addicted to relationships. And God says, I need you to break out of that addiction. You can come boldly to the throne of grace and say, God, I need help. I cannot do this on my own. He says, yes, I know, but my grace is sufficient. I will give you what you need to overcome this. We have to fall before him, realizing and admitting that we cannot do this on our own. You know, we're taught as we're growing up to be big boys and big girls and tie our shoes by ourselves. You know, how proud are we when our kids do things like that? My nephew's wife sends out baby pictures of her two kids every day to family. There was recently a three minute video of her son, who is what, almost four now, who was helping his sister, who is almost two, get her vest on. And it had a zipper. He had never done a zipper before. She said, There was a lot more to the video than I had time, but I didn't think you'd want to watch six, seven minutes of him struggling. But he got the zipper, and you should have heard his cry of glee. I got it! We get those points sometime in our life, and we say, I've got it, God, I've figured it out. And he says, no, not really. You're getting a picture, but you don't have the whole thing yet. But keep working, because I have grace that will help you get to the next part. I have grace that will take you to the next step. We have to humble ourselves before God and not come to him thanking him that we're not like everyone else, but understanding that we are weak, we are unable to do this on our own, but with his help, we can overcome. And we need to offer our fervent prayers to him Spend time communicating with him. Don't be so quick to trot out the wish list. God, I wish this was going to happen. I wish this was going to happen. I need this to happen. You're you're paying attention to writing this down, God? No, we don't say that, but sometimes we think that. But we need to remember that when we offer our fervent prayers to God in the name of Christ, that God hears our prayers and If we make a sincere surrender to him, he is going to be there with us no matter what we go through. We need to realize that our own efforts, our own big girl, big boy routine, is not going to get us into heaven. But it's only when we hold tightly to Jesus' hand that, that will make a difference for us. If we believe in the power of Jesus' name and present our petitions to God, he will never turn us away. Our help comes from God. He holds all these things in his hands. And sometimes we think if we vote one way or the other, we're going to affect things. No. <laughs> God sets up kings and he takes down kings. He sets up countries and he takes down countries. Look at the progression from Daniel on where he told what was going to happen and precisely how it happened. We have to believe that the God who does that is watching over me and has set boundaries in my life of things he needs me to do, things he needs me to accomplish, ways he wants me to respond to situations and realize that we can do it with his help. Then, at that point, we can have peace in the assurance that his love is exercised towards us. What does it mean when love is exercised towards you? What does it mean to exercise? Something I don't like. (laughs) We all should be doing it, especially after Christmas and New Year's. Exercise, exercise. You know that most Americans follow two forms of exercise. We jump to the truth and stretch the facts. But when it comes right down to physical exercise, and I'm the first one here to admit that, we're not always real good at it, doing the physical things that need to be done to help our body. And spiritually, sometimes we're even worse because we do not exercise our faith in him. We do not reach out and lay our plans before him. Our peace is in the assurance that his love is exercised towards us when we are reaching out to him. When we have made the commitment, Father, I need you in my life today. A number of years ago, a friend sent me a prayer over email. It was fairly early in the time of email, so I was quite impressed with it. It went something like this. My morning prayer. Father, so far today I haven't stolen anything. I haven't hurt anybody. Haven't done anything mean. Haven't overeaten. But I'm about ready to get up. Bless me. And that's a prayer that probably we can relate to. And as we go through the day, those little opportunities come up for exasperation, for frustration, for irritation, for anger pop in our way. And when, unless we're exercising that relationship with God, those things take hold in our life and they start overwhelming us. If our faith grasps the assurance that God's love will be exercised towards us, we can overcome anything. When we take that promise, then we are standing beside Isaiah saying, Father, send me, send me. Help me to go today where you need me to go. Every angel will be commissioned to help you that you need. In my listening through the Old Testament again, I'm hearing some of the battles where the Syrians came and attacked Israel, and one angel slew how many of the enemy troops? Hundred and eighty thousand, hundred and eighty-three thousand, something like that. A whole lot. One angel, and God said, Jesus said, "If I needed them, my Father would send legions of angels to help me." And he said. I'm telling you that if you need this, I will send you help. But we do not get the victory without some pain. When I was a kid, I used to watch Star Trek, and I always loved it when they would do the injections with that little box that made a funny noise. They would wave it over them, and it would go and they would get the medicine inside, and there was no needles, and they went, Yes! Sometimes we need the needle. Sometimes we need the pinpoint of pain, or sometimes it's a larger thing, to really impact in our mind that there is a lesson to be learned here. But we need to remember that we can call upon God and he will help us. Pavel Goya is a pastor who talks a lot about prayer. He had a father who firmly believed in prayer. He tells several stories where he would call his father and say, what should I do? Because he lived in communist Romania and struggled because he was an Adventist and the Adventist church was not in favor in Romania. And he would say, Dad, what should I do? And his father said, well, what do you think you should do? And he said, well, this is what I think I should do. Have you prayed about it? Well, yes. Have you prayed that you're praying for the right thing to be praying about? No. I want to run that by you again. Have you prayed for the right thing that you should be praying about? Because sometimes I get caught up in the moment and I forget the bigger picture. He tells a story of one time when their church was having a meeting. At that time in Romania there was a law that you could not have more than two church members together because they were afraid religion would happen if there were more than two. So one night they had gotten the church together for a meeting and they were betrayed by somebody and they heard the police cars pulling up outside of the church and there was a knock on the door and says, you all need to come on out and they knew what that meant. That meant beating, meant imprisonment, meant fines and they're all sitting inside going, what do we do? And his father, who was the pastor, (coughs) turned to his congregation and said, we go out. And he went to the back doors and started out, and nobody followed him. They knew when they would go outside that there would be a row of police on each side of the sidewalk, and they would have their batons ready to administer a beating as the individuals would walk down the road. And when they fell, collapsed, unconscious, or broken limbs or whatever, they would be dragged into the police vans and hauled away to the police station and imprisoned and, like I said, fined. And his father turned and looked back at the church and said, you guys, we need to go out. Come with me. And nobody left. His father said, okay, I'm going out. He opened the doors of the church and walked out into the double row of police officers. And as he approached them, everyone stepped back and stepped back, and stepped back. He walked out, he got a little ways down the sidewalk, he turned and said to church members, come on. And they all walked out and walked away. The next day, he got a personal invitation from the chief of police to come to his office. (laughs) He needed to talk to him. Not knowing what to expect, he went. And He said, I was surprised at how solicitous the police officer was. He said, have a seat. I mean, can I get you anything? I need to ask you one question. Who were those soldiers that were with you? And Pastor Goya's father looked and said, we had no soldiers with us. And he said, oh, yes, there was a double row of soldiers walking on each side of you. God will send his angels to protect us. When we are doing his bidding, when we're staying, God, send me, help me to go where you need me to go. He sends his angels with us. Now, they don't always protect us from some of the things that happen in this world, but he says, don't worry. I will take care of that. When you come home to heaven with me, I will repay you many times over for what you think you have lost here on this earth. God's GPS will not fail us. When we take the words of the song that we're going to sing for our closing song, Abide With Me, turn your hymnals to hymn number 50, and sing these words and say, God, I need you to abide with me in my life today. There are issues. There are problems, challenges, opportunities, whatever you want to call it that I'm facing right now, and I do not have a clue as to how to make this happen. I know what I would do, but in the past I've discovered that when I do things my way, I end up in trouble. So sing these songs, sing this song with me. Please stand as we sing, abide with me, and think about how I need to include God in my plans of my life today.